You can cut that part out so the pastor Tom didn't hear that. <laughs> now I'm sure he'll take it okay. Uh, well, thank you for coming and looking forward to this. Um, of course, as you, I think most everybody here knows, Pastor Tom is and his family are in uh, California for Matthew's graduation from Marine Boot Camp, and so, uh, but he is expected to come back for Sunday. <clears throat> And so anyway, uh, and with him, Laura went and stuff, so we don't have uh, a uh, worship team for tonight. So this will be a little bit more like our Greek class. <laughs> just, and it actually, the teaching is more going to be more that way anyway. It's going to be more like the Greek class because we're going to be following through a bunch of slides and it's going to be more instructional and such than it is uh, um, just uh, like verse by verse. That's for sure. It's not going to be like that. And so... Um, I think we ought to go ahead and pray and start, and, uh, and, and maybe we can actually even get done a little early. That would be okay, too. Father, we're thankful for your word. <clears throat> we're thankful that you've not left us ignorant, and we ask that you would <clears throat> bless the teaching and the word tonight. Holy Spirit, help us to grasp what you want us to grasp, to equip us, to use us for evangelizing others, not just Jehovah's Witnesses, but uh other uh, people as well, we would uh, center in on understanding, knowing the truth, and and uh, methodologies on how to uh, talk to people to uh, be able to communicate that truth. We just ask that you bless this time tonight and equip us and help us to grow up into um, the, the person you want us to be to, to use us in the lives of others. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So why am I teaching this? Well, I've had a lot of encounters with Jehovah's Witnesses, so-called. I don't like to call them Jehovah's Witnesses because they are not. Um, I've I've, uh, spent many times talking to them in my home. I've uh, infiltrated their big convention that they had in just north of Wichita. And you may think infiltrated is a little dramatic to say, but if you were there and saw what was going on, you'd say, yeah, that's what it was. Uh, it was quite an experience. See, one of the problems I have is I've done, I've got so much experience with this, and I've taught this a few times. Anyway, I don't remember how many times, three, four times right off the top of my head. Um, I have a lot of stories. And so one of the things I've got to do is bite my tongue, not tell stories, cover the information, maybe use a story or two here or there. Uh, as as appropriate, and so I'm going to try to do that. I'm going to try to stick to the notes and and not just start telling the stories because while they may be entertaining, they're they're not going to get you what you need tonight. But we want to just look at it, uh, talking to Jehovah's Witnesses, so-called. Um, when they you're sitting in your living room, you're looking out your picture window, and you see them coming up the road. Now what do you do? Well, the first thing you ought to do is pray. <laughs> And ask for the Lord to guide you and that not only the Lord to guide you, but he would uh, lead you in what to say and that he would be at work in the heart of the person who is uh, coming to your door. There's a lot of, well, let's just, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Jehovah's Witnesses, that's why the question mark is there, because uh, they're not. As far as the name Jehovah is concerned, we don't know how God's name is supposed to be pronounced, but I can tell you with 100% certainty that is not how you say it, <laughs> because J is a relatively recent addition to uh, to the language. Uh, as you look at all the names in the Greek New Testament that 
start with a J. They don't in Greek. They start with an iota. Uh, all the names that start with a J in the Old Testament don't. They start with a yod. And so it's not Joshua, it's Yehoshua. It's not Jacob, it's Yaakov. It's uh, not Joseph, what did I say? Jacob, Joseph, it's not Joseph, it's a Yosef. It all starts with a Y in Hebrew. Fact is, if you remember almost two years ago, I'm sure you remember everything I've ever said, right? It's been almost two years ago, it'll be two years this coming Memorial Day. I taught on Joshua, and I had a little thing up here on the screen that was about uh, how did we get from Yehoshua to Jesus? And it, I took you through Yehoshua, which was Joshua, his name, and then uh, around the time of the Babylonian captivity and afterwards, it got shortened, shortened to Yeshua, which is what Jewish people call Jesus to this day. And then that got converted over into Greek and had to conform to Greek syntax and became Jesus. It went into Latin, which was still pronounced Jesus, but when you look at the way it spelled, it looked like Jesus spelled with an I, okay? And then we put a J on it. And so I know that his name was never pronounced Jesus, but he, he knows. He, he speaks English, too. I mean, he knows that sort of stuff. He's one of the invented languages, right, at Babel. So anyway, based on that alone, we know that it's not going to be Jehovah. Uh, we know that it starts off Yah, because so many times... In the Psalms, it'll say, praise Yah. So we know just the first part of his name is Yah. Then after that, we just have to give it our best shot. And so Yahweh, Yahweh, something like that. Mission field at your door. Hmm. It's not letting me go back. Oh, well. Uh, Mission field at your door. It's because... Uh, they're going to hell, and they're going to hell on your doorstep. They're going to hell on my doorstep, and we ought to know how we can best present the gospel to them that they would be able to receive it and not just spend all the time arguing. Oh, there, it did go back. <laughs> Took it a little while. Mission field at your doorstep. Well, this is not going to be. Darnell is considered to be. Let's go ahead and read Matthew 13, 24, 30. Matthew 13, 24 through 30. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the, own, uh, of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us, to go, uh, want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in, in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, we, by looking at the other kingdom parables, we know that Jesus is the man who sowed, and we know that the field is the world, and the good seed, he explained this later, is the, uh, are the sons of the kingdom, and the sons of the evil one are the tares. The word that's translated tares is generally considered to be darnell. It's a wheat look-alike until the wheat's starts bearing grain. Uh, its seed is different. Darnell is also known as, now I don't do Latin, uh, lolium temu, temulentum. This word, I looked it up, and it actually is the word in Latin for drunken. 
And the reason for that is because it's poisonous. In small amounts, it'll make you appear like you're drunk. You'll get dizzy. You'll lose your balance. You'll get nauseated. And larger amounts will kill you. The, the, uh, there. The, um, there's, only, there's only one truth. The scripture has the truth. It's just like you can have a, a $5 bill. It's a, the $5 bill, there's a real $5 bill. But then when it comes to counterfeits, you can have any number of different kinds of counterfeits. And you'd have to look at all these different things to find out what makes it a counterfeit. Or what is easier to do is get so intimately acquainted with the original that anything that varies from that you'll recognize it as a counterfeit. And that's the, the approach we need to take is not spend so much time on learning what others believe, but learning on what is the truth? What do we believe? Why do we believe it? Understanding that. But to be... Uh, taking in some of this stuff like from the weeds, the noxious weeds, um, they can make you nauseated <laughs> or tissy, or uh, if you get too much of it, you'll die from it. And like I said just a bit ago, people are going to hell on our doorsteps. And the people, the watchtower slaves, that's what I often, oftentimes call them, um, they are among them. Okay. We refer to the Watchtower and the Jehovah's Witnesses as being a cult. A cult is a religious group which differs significantly in one or more respects as to belief or practice from those groups which are regarded as the historic normative expressions. And generally, they are gathered around the teaching of a specific person and their interpretation of the Bible. So you have Jehovah's Witnesses, they follow the teachings of Charles Taze Russell. He's the one that started in the late 1800s. And Joseph, that you'll call him Judge, Judge Rutherford. Uh, Mormons follow the teachings of Joseph Smith. And the, the Utah group also follows Brigham Young and the presidents that came after that. And we don't have time to go into more of that. Christian Science follows the teachings of Mary Baker Eddy. The Way International follows Victor Paul Weirwell. Unity School of Christianity, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore. Calvary Chapel follows good. No, that's not just <laughs> Chuck Smith. No, we don't do that. <clears throat> we don't. There we go. <clears throat> counterfeits. I talked about counterfeits a little bit ago. I've got a lot of scriptures up here. We'll probably only turn to three through the course of the evening. I have them up here so we can get through them quickly. Second uh, Corinthians 11:4. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom you have not, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. He is Paul is chiding the Corinthians because they're tolerating false teachers. And so there is another Jesus and another di- uh, different spirit and a different gospel. It is imperative that you have the right Jesus, the right spirit, and the right gospel because your eternal destiny is at stake. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. It's not another gospel. There's no other good news. There's only one good news. So the gospel that's different is not another gospel. It's not another good news. But there are some who trouble you and we want to, uh, and, and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what 
you have received. Let him be accursed. Doesn't matter who it is. The people who come to your door are deceived. They're not the ones who came up with this stuff. They have been taught it, and they are, um, they are deceived. Deception is so insidious because the one who is deceived doesn't know it. If they did, I'm not deceived. I had a guy tell me that once. He says, I'm not deceived. I said, well, how would you know if you are? Because if you knew you were, you wouldn't be. <laughs> if they knew, they would no longer be deceived. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4 says, if, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So be an ambassador for Christ. There's all kinds of bad ways to deal with the people. Uh, Pastor Tom has mentioned some when he's doing the announcements, you know. I'm a Christian, boom, you know. The, the people in the cults, are really quick to take on the uh, martyr skin. <laughs> you know, they'd, oh, I'm suffering for my faith, and so that ought to be worth something, you know, in the, in the heavenly balance of, of how I'm going to, it's going to be determined that I will get whatever benefit in the future. Um, I knew a guy that uh, he, he was active in the church. I think he was on the church board. This is when I was a kid. Uh, and he said, well, whenever they come to my door, I just tell them that we're Satanists and we're having a prayer service and we invite them in. He says, it scares them off every time. And I went, that is not what you came to hear tonight. <laughs> that is horrible. First of all, it's a lie. And second of all, it's, it's, is that the goal, really, to scare them off? That's, that's just, that whole thing is wrong. They're going to hell on our doorstep. They need to know the love of Jesus Christ and we're the ones who God has put in their way to tell them about him. And so uh, be an ambassador of Jesus Christ and do it in a loving way. And I'm going to try to help you with some, some it's stuff that I've learned and I've, I've, I've used and it's, it's helped. I've had some Jehovah's Witnesses come back to my house for months, week after week, once a week, every week for months uh, because of using these these techniques and so uh, I want to share those with you if you just if you come in and say Jesus is God and I'm going to prove it to you what's going to go red alert shields up they're going to block everything you say they're not going to hear anything you say you're not going to get anywhere with them you can't have that strong frontal approach you've got to take a different approach with them Jude 3 says Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered unto the saints. So we are supposed to contend for the faith. If somebody says something that is doctrinally incorrect, we have an obligation to make sure that gets checked and gets corrected. It's interesting, too. This is no extra charge for this tonight. It says, uh, earnestly contend for faith is once for all delivered unto the saints. There's nothing here about progressive revelation. <laughs> There's nothing new. It was once for all delivered unto the saints. We have it right here. You got this book, you got it all. And anything else is suspect at best. And then in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 7, 15 through 17, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And don't forget that part. They're coming down your road. 
You see them coming down the sidewalk. They're coming to your house. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your, your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. We don't want to come across in a way that is they can feel like they're being persecuted by us. We, that's, that they should leave going, wow, they really seem to care. <laughs> you know. Second Timothy 2, 23 through 26. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. That's something we need to look at too. Don't let them control the conversation because you'll get hopscotching all the way through the Bible, completely devoid of context, and, and not get anywhere. So avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not, why? Why do we need to make sure we're humble and make sure that we're uh, not arguing and all, everything that we've read about so far here? The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness was long, long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's will. God said in Ezekiel, I do not delight in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked return from their wicked ways and live. And that's still God's, what does God want for the Jehovah's Witness walking up the sidewalk, headed to your house? His, his desire that he would come to repentance, that he would not perish, but come to repentance. All right. Now, moving into more of the presentation here, that's just kind of background and, and context for what we need to do and how we need to learn. Um, the Jehovah's Witnesses get their name from this text, from Isaiah 43, 10, 11. You are my witnesses, says Lord in all capital letters, is Yahweh. In their Bibles, they have it rendered Jehovah. And my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, Yahweh. And there, besides me there is no Savior. Well, already you're probably, your head's already going this way and say, well, Jesus is the Savior, so Jesus is Yahweh. Yep, you're right. Uh, before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. Uh, so Jesus could not be a God because there's no God formed after him. I mean, you, your mind may already be headed that way. But this is where they get their name. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Uh, so I will gladly refer to myself as a Jesus witness. First piece of advice, well, I've had several pieces of advice. Um, another piece of advice is don't major in the minors. Uh, you only have a short amount of time with them. Use your time wisely. And the most important thing is not winning an argument. They're going to hell on your doorstep. Lovingly give them the information they need. What do I mean by major in the majors and don't major in the minors? They don't salute the flag. Don't get on that. 
That's, that's not going to get them to heaven. That's not, that's not the issue here. Don't talk about flag salutes or Pledge of Allegiance or something. Blood transfusions. Well, unless they're dying on your doorstep, that, you know, that's probably not something you need to worry about either. They don't celebrate birthdays. They don't celebrate Christmas. Don't spend time on things that don't make any difference. Now, there are some things that they're a little bit more important, but they're not necessarily central theology. Things like soul sleep. Oh, that's wrong. The Bible does not teach soul sleep. Soul sleep means you die, they put you in the grave, and you just lay there. You're not aware of anything. It's like you're asleep. That's it. Nothing. Uh, that's not what the Bible teaches. Um, you know the verses probably as well as I do. Second Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. We're not just laying there sleeping. We, we uh, are able to think and spend time with him and be with others. Uh, annihilation, that means uh, they don't believe in, in, a, for, uh, in eternal hell. They believe that the people that get thrown into hell, they just they burn up and they're gone and that's it. All done. Uh, torture stake. They don't believe that Jesus was crucified on a cross. They believe that he was impaled on a stake. And uh, they're wrong. All these things that they believe are wrong, but these are not the things that are central theology. All these things could be answered scripturally. And if you need to, I'll be glad to talk to you about any of those. What you believe about Jesus, and this is what's called central theology, or this is specifically Christology, this is everything. The most important question is what Jesus, Jesus asked his disciples when he was a Caesarea Philippi, who do men say I am? And <clears throat> what they say Jesus is, or who they say Jesus is, or who we say Jesus is, that is the thing. What do they need? They're on your doorstep, and what they need is Jesus. And so this is, the, this is where we want to concentrate our efforts. So for tonight, we have two main points. And we're going to look at the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at the deity of Jesus Christ. These are things that I share with the false witnesses of Yahweh <laughs> who represent the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. Um, just almost every time. I mean, obviously, when they come to my house week after week for months, um, we talk about a lot of different things. But these are the main things, and I try to keep it back to these. Even when they come week after week after week, like I was talking to one guy. He was a chiropractor in Wichita. And uh, I presented what we'll talk about a little bit later with the de deity of Christ, the Alpha and the Omega. He'd come back the next week and he'd tell me something. And I said, well, you know, that doesn't really answer my questions because of this and this and this. Said, and he goes, yeah, you're right. That doesn't really answer the question. So I'll do some more research. I'll get back to you. He comes back the next week. He says, remember that stuff I told you last week? Forget all that. Here's the new stuff. <laughs> this is, this is, I'm not making this up. <laughs> this is literal conversation. And... Uh, and so I'd say, well, you know, that doesn't really answer this question either. And I'd go back and represent the information again. And he'd say, oh, that's right. That doesn't really catch it either. And so, you know, yeah, um, I, I still didn't major in the minors. I, st I continued to try to major in the majors, although sometimes we, you know, week after week we might bring in some more things. But I was always in charge of the conversation, and we went where I wanted to go, okay? And I did it by asking questions. <clears throat> and so these are, the, and so when they come, when I see them coming up my street, well, if we haven't already been back blacklisted, I mean, usually we get one or two, and by the time we get one or two, we get blacklisted. They come up the street, and they will turn and stay away from our house and go to the neighbors or something. They they don't go to ours, and so then we moved, and uh, they a couple of them came, and then then we get blacklisted, and they don't show up anymore. In fact, one time there's another couple that I talked to for 
months. Oh, I'm getting into stories, aren't I? Anyway, I talked to them for a couple of months. They went to this guy. I had been discipling this guy, and uh, he was working on his house or something. He said, you know, I haven't got time to talk to you guys, but I know somebody who'd love to talk to you. And he gave him my address, and they, <laughs> they came over to my house. And they were another set that came back week after week after week. And again, I did it by, I, I handled it by asking questions. <clears throat> but this, it doesn't matter um, if it happened tomorrow, they'd come up to our camper door tomorrow. I would I would pray about it, and then I would choose one of these two things to talk to them about. This, this is something I've done over and over and over again. That's when Tom asked me about teaching about it. I said, I could do it tomorrow. This, this is something I do all the time. Or not all the time, but often, regularly. So we're going to start off with the bodily resurrection of Christ. I often will pick this one because uh, it's actually faster, and I can, I can cover it more quickly um, but I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to tell stories. Well, I might. I'll try not to. Resurrection, definition and examples. Resurrection is the resuscitation of a corpse. I think you know that already. Not everybody realizes that. <laughs> they don't realize that. You do. But I, I need, to, I need to, to say it out loud. It's the resuscitation of a corpse. Something was alive. It became dead and was brought to life. It's to rise from the dead. A corpse becomes a living being again. That is a resurrection. The Greek word, is anybody from Greek class want to try it? Anastasis. I think I heard somebody say it. Anastasis. It's a compound word that basically means to stand up. <laughs> somebody who's been raised from the dead, what do they do? They stand up. <laughs> And I like that. Does he stand up again or stand up, stand up or stand up again or stand again? This is the two pieces right there. Ana is up and then stasis comes from histomy, which means to stand. So it means to stand up. I remember, I think I shared this not too long ago. I was talking, I was teaching in Wichita, Kansas, and, and there was a woman, I think she may have had some input from some of the Watchtower people who came by her house. And I mentioned that Jesus was raised bodily, and she approached me after I got done teaching and asked me about it. And she didn't quite get it. She said, you said he was bodily raised? I said, yeah, his body was raised. When they, when they came to the tomb, the tomb was empty. She goes, I, I just don't, wasn't he just raised as a spirit or something? I said, no, no. They put his body on a cross. They nailed it there. He died. They took him down. They put him in the tomb, and they rolled a stone in the way. After three days, he got up. She said, he got up, which is what this word means, stood up again. She said, he got up. I said, he got up. He got up and he walked out. She said, he got up and he walked out. I said, he got up and he walked out. <laughs> and it was fun to see the light bulb come on and she was getting it. And, and I like to tell that story because I never, ever want to get calloused or I don't want to, I don't, I never want to lose the awe and wonder of the resurrection of Jesus. It's such an important thing. Our Christian faith is based on this. Examples. To rise from the dead, a corpse comes to life again. Okay. This is through the whole Bible. In the Old Testament, 1 Kings 17, 17 through 22, Elijah raises the little boy to life. 2 Kings 4, 32 through 35, Elisha raises another little boy to life. In the New Testament, Jesus He's walking into the city, and there's a funeral coming out. They're carrying out this dead guy, the only son of a widow, the widow named son. And he 
raises him up and gives him back to his mother. He was dead. He was laying on the beer or beer by or whatever they call that thing, the thing they were carrying him on, and, and uh, he got up. Luke, uh, Luke chapter 8, 49 through 55, Jairus' daughter, Jesus raised her. John 11, 14 through 45, Lazarus. He was dead for four days. By this time, Lord, he stinks. And Jesus told him to stand up, come out. He did. He got up and he walked out. Acts 9, we have Tabitha or Dorcas, if you want to. Tabitha sounds nicer. Uh, raised by uh, Peter, chapter 20, verses 9 through 12. Eutychus, raised by Paul. So every single time, that anybody is resurrected in the Bible every single time. It is a physical bodily resurrection, something that was dead. The body's laying there and it gets up and stands up again and they're alive. Okay, that's the biblical example throughout of, of resurrection. What the Watchtower teaches in Let God Be True, one of their books on page 40, Jehovah God raised him from the dead, not as a human son, but as a mighty immortal spirit son. Page 41, Jesus did not take his human body to heaven to be forever a man in heaven. God raised him a deathless life as, to deathless life as a glorious spirit creature. On page 276, this firstborn from the dead was raised from the dead, not as a human creature, but as a spirit. That's what they believe. One time I was going through my, I'm telling the story again. Uh, this was in Sioux Falls. The, the guy came and I went through the resurrection stuff and he says, okay, that's right. And I, and I went, oh, okay, well, that's good. And he said, I guess Jesus was raised bodily. I said, that's good. Uh, that's, that's the truth. That's what the Bible teaches. Jesus was raised, raised bodily. And I said, but now you need to understand you disagree with the watchtower. And he went, oh, wait a minute. So the Watchtower teaches that Jesus was not raised bodily, but raised as a spirit who only took on bodily form to appear to people. What I like to do is take them to John chapter 2. Because, like I said, this is a short passage. It's not difficult. I can go through it pretty quickly with them. This is uh, right after Jesus cleared the temple and um, the Scribes and the Pharisees or the Jews came to him and said, what right do you have to clear the temple? And, uh, and we can pick up Jesus' response with chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. Yeah, we got the whole story here. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. So Jesus did this at the beginning of his ministry. He did it again at the end of his ministry on the week before or the days before, right before he died. Then his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show us? Show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. John fills us in here. 
Through the Gospel of John, you see this over and over again, where Jesus uses a physical expression of his meaning. He has a spiritual meaning behind it, and people misunderstand him. He talked to a woman at the well about the water I give, you'll never thirst. She goes, well, give me that water so I don't have to come back here. I mean, she's, this happens over and over again in the Gospel according to John, but this is one of the first ones uh, right here. He was speaking of the temple of his body. Note verses 19 and 21. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. But he was speaking concerning the temple of his body. The temple is his body. That's what he's talking about. So in verse 19, Jesus was saying, destroy this body, and in three days I will raise this body up. And so so when, I, when they come to my door, I open the door. I've already prayed. Bonnie's probably, or probably still praying. That's what she usually does when I'm talking to them. And um, I'll say, now, you believe that Jesus was raised a spirit creature, right? Yeah, that's, that's right. And I go, okay, um, I have a problem. And maybe you can explain it to me. Uh, let me show you the verses that are bothering me. I take him to John chapter 2. We read through it, and I make this same assertion, that since he was speaking concerning the temple of his body, that destroy this body three days, I will raise it up. What does that mean? Uh, please explain that to me. And they can't. <laughs> they can't do that. And after a little bit, I will say, did you know that the watchtower made the same mistake as, same mistake as the disciples? And I go, of, what do you mean the watchtower made the same mistake as the disciples? Said, well, the disciples thought that they saw a spirit, so you just flip back like three pages or so to Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 43. Jesus had just appeared to the guys on the way to Emmaus. I'll talk more about that later, too. I'm not going to go there now. But whenever they realized it was Jesus, they ran back to Jerusalem. And um, they told him about the things that had happened. That's in verse 35. Told him about the things that happened, how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself, Jesus himself, stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened, supposing they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. So there you are. The watchtower made the same mistake. They thought Jesus was raised a spirit. That's what the disciples thought. They thought he was raised a spirit. And Jesus said, No, it's me myself. That's I. It's me. Uh, look at my hands. Look at my feet. It's me. And when they did, and when he said this, they sh- he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said, do you have any food? And then this, this invisible spirit creature ate a piece of royal fish and some honey in verse 42. And so um, Jesus, if Jesus was raised as a spirit creature, then he was being deliberately deceitful to present some kind of a body to make it look like it was his body if his body was not truly resurrected. And so also note that the tomb was empty. The watchtower doesn't know what happened to the body of Jesus. However, his body wasn't there because he had been raised from the dead. Watchtower uh, slave objections. But flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. 
First, that's a reference to mortal man. Second, Jesus said he is flesh and bone, not flesh and blood. His blood was poured out for the sins of the world. But he went through locked doors or through locked windows or through whatever. The Bible never said anywhere that Jesus passed through any locked doors or windows or roofs or floors or whatever. He had the power to be in a place or to leave that place simply because he willed it to be so. But they didn't recognize him. The Bible tells us why. In Luke chapter 24, verse 16, the guys on the way to the road to Emmaus, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. The old King James says their eyes were holden. Uh, the problem was with their eyes. Their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. In verse 31, after he had, why did he do it? If he had just appeared and walked along with them and they said, ah, it's Jesus, he's alive, he would never be able to tell them anything. But he came to them, First, he veiled their eyes, and then he was able to expound on the scriptures all the way through the law, the prophets, and the writings, the Psalms, showing how they tell of him. And he was able to teach this whole lesson for a seven-mile walk, and they were able to hear it. They weren't distracted by who this guy was. And then once he had given them this information, that's the time you'd want your tape recorder, isn't it? To hear what Jesus had to say about all the Old Testament scriptures and what they say about him, that would have been a good one to listen to. But alas, no tape recorders back then. So after he had uh, said what he wanted to, and as they were getting ready to eat, verse 31, their eyes were open. So the problem was their eyes, not with the form of Jesus. Okay. In Mary's case, John chapter 20, verse 1, it was dark. The sun was not even quite up yet. Uh, she was crying, and she heard somebody behind her, and she thought it was the gardener. She looked and thought it was the gardener. She's crying. It's dark. She doesn't recognize him. But then when he said, Mary, she turned and said, my teacher, Rabboni, Rabboni, uh, my teacher. She recognized him. There was nothing wrong with his body. The problem was with the lighting and with the eyes and the tears in the eyes and the amount of turning that took place in there. The problem was not with the form of Jesus, but with the eyes of the people. The other one that comes to mind that I don't have up here in the notes is Jesus um, rose from the dead. The disciples were to meet him in Galilee. They're up in Galilee. Peter says, I'm going fishing. The disciples said, we'll go with you. And they fish all night. They don't catch anything. They're several hundred or a couple hundred yards out in the water. Jesus is on the bank. It's morning. The light's not even bright yet. And some guy on the bank says, did you catch anything? And you tell these guys spent three years with Jesus. They said, no, I'm an honest fisherman. Can you believe it? Well, we had a really big one. It just got away. You know, yeah. <laughs> no stories, you know. He just, uh, uh, they just said, no. Wait, he said, children. Did you, children, did you catch anything? No. Got skunked. And so uh, they didn't know who it was until he said, cast the net on the other side. And John said, oh, that's got to be Jesus. And Peter should have thought of that too, because Jesus did the same thing to Peter at the beginning of his ministry when he called Peter to follow him. And he said, go back out to the deep and cast your net and get a, catch a big haul of fish. And he says, Master, we fished all night. If that's your word, I'll do it. Then they knew it was Jesus. And, they got to the, and when they got to the bank, there was no question as to whether it was Jesus or not. They all knew it was him. That's what John says. He says that. We didn't even ask. We knew it was him. There was no problem with the form of Jesus. Nothing wrong with the body of Jesus. Not some form that he assumed so they could try to see him or whatever, it was him. 
It was him. Conclusion, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as in all resurrections, was a bodily resurrection. He himself. Jesus said that he would raise up his own body, and he did, which kind of reminds me also of um, John chapter 10. Jesus said, I have the power to lay my life down. I have the power to take it up again. And so there's other places in the Bible where it says the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus said he'd raise himself from the dead. And in Romans chapter 8, it says the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. Who raised Jesus from the dead? God raised Jesus from the dead, right? <clears throat> and for your encouragement, Romans 8:11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Wow. That's the resurrection that we have coming. And as and John said in, in, in First in John, I believe it's chapter 3, could be chapter 2, I don't remember. It might be chapter 2. He said, we don't know what we'll be, but we know that we'll be like him when we see, because we'll see him as he is. And so our bodies will be like his body. And we won't die anymore either. He doesn't die anymore. Okay, so that's basically it. I just say, now, you say that Jesus raised, raised a spirit creature, right? Well, then I have a problem. Uh, maybe you can help me. Uh, let's look at the verses that are bothering me, and you can explain them to me. And, of course, they, they can't. And they can use their own Bible. It's there. You don't have to get them to use your Bible. They have perversions in their Bible. It's not a translation. It's an abomination, New World Abomination, <clears throat> but not a translation. They just went through and changed things, and they continued to have revisions whenever the Christians would say something they didn't have an answer for, then they'd go in and make changes. But this, uh, to the best of my knowledge, this is still intact in, in their version of the Bible. <clears throat> and so um, sometimes I go with that. Like I said, it doesn't take very long. If I, I may just give them John chapter 2, you destroy this body and I will, in three days I will raise this body up and get in there. If they're, they don't look like they're just itching to get away yet, that's when I'll say, did you know that the watchtower made the same mistake as the disciples? And then that's when I take them to Luke 24. But it doesn't take very long. Now, if I feel like I've got a little longer, then I like to talk to them about the deity of Christ. Watchtower teaches, they deny the deity of Christ, they teach that Jesus was the first creation of God, and they teach that it was, he was Michael the Archangel, which is, I've got, we can talk about that if you have questions about that too. But I would say, this is not the major thing yet. That we should, the, What we have here is probably the major thing. We, we need to get them to see that Jesus is God. We need to get them to see the Bible teaches that. And um, by picking a place where they have not had it changed in their Bible by the Watchtower Society. Not only deny the deity of Christ, they deny the person of the Holy Spirit. He was not a person. He's a he's a power. He's a he's a thing. <clears throat> they deny the biblical concept of the Trinity. Only the Father is Jehovah. And so when we say. When we used to tell them Jesus is God, they go, the Father is God. Yet, you look at his math. You got an equation. The Father equals God. Now, Jesus does not equal the Father. If Jesus equals God, that means Jesus equals the Father, right? The math doesn't work for them. They have a real problem with that. 
So when you talk to them and say Jesus is God, that's just not a good way to start off. Since the Father is God, Jesus is not the Father, so Jesus cannot be God. Is Jesus God? Well, before we go into this topic, let's look at a couple of examples with a caveat to follow. Okay, I've got a couple of illustrations, but like many illustrations, it breaks down at a point. But what we're, what we're doing when we're talking to them, if, if it comes up, you need to kind of explain it to them. That would be after the presentation. Um, <clears throat> one of these illustrations may be helpful to them to get them started in thinking the right way, uh, even though you don't want to take it to its logical conclusion. I have an egg yolk, I have an egg white, I have an egg shell. How many eggs do I have? I just have one. Which one is the real egg? Well, they all are. You would never just say only the yolk is the egg. That would be like saying only the Father is God. Now, I'll talk about the problems with this in a minute. I have ice, I have water, I have steam. One is a solid, one is a liquid, one is a gas. Which one is the real H2O? Well, they all are H2O. Now the problem. The previous two examples are only to see how three seemingly different things can be a unity. This may work to a point. However, these are not good illustrations of taken to the logical end. We would end up in heretical conclusions of mortalism or partialism. It's not like the father is the yoke and the son is the white and the Holy Spirit's the shell or who you can mix those anyway. Because then if you took one of those away, you haven't got all of God and it's, that's called uh, partialism. And so <clears throat> it's, it's not a good illustration of the, of the Trinity. I mean, you, you don't want to go into some theological class and, and lay these out as the way, because they'll shoot you down. But the, the main thing is you're trying to show, okay, well, basically what you're saying is the Father is not all there is to God, okay? Um, Oh, okay. That's, the problem is with the examples that they really do not apply to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, who, while being separate persons, are all the same in regards to being equal in glory, co-eternal, or one in eternalness. Uh, none of them are created. All are omniscient, all are omnipotent. None is before one or, or after the other. That sort of thing. So that's why you end up with some of those problems. But who is God? The Bible clearly teaches that there is someone called the Father, and he is called God. There is someone called the Son, and he is called God. And there is someone called the Holy Spirit, and he is called God. And yet the Bible says there is only one God. Which one is the real God? Well, they all are, but that's where I start. When they come to my door, and if I felt like the Spirit's leading me to do so, instead of going into the resurrection, I'll go into this presentation. And I'll say, you know, I'm glad you stopped by the house. Um, I've been wanting to ask you a question because this is what I'm seeing. I'm seeing in the Bible, as I read through the Bible, I'm seeing somebody called the Father and he's called God. That's right. The Father is God. The Father is Jehovah. Okay? But I'm also seeing verses that say that the Son is God. Oh, no, that's not it. He said, okay, well, just a minute here. Let me finish and I'll, I'll show you the verses that are bothering me and you can explain them to me. And then... We see verses that refer to the Holy, the person called the Holy Spirit. Well, of course, the Holy Spirit's not a person. Well, I'll show you the verses that are giving me trouble, and you can explain them to me. But I see a person called the Father, and he's called God. I see a person called the Son, and he's called God. And I see a person called the Holy Spirit, and he's called God. And yet I see in the Bible that there's only one God. And yeah, I can help you with that. I said, well, let me take you to the Scriptures. that They might want to get off into their presentation on things. Don't let them get off on their Bible hopscotch game. Don't, don't let them get there. Say, let me show you the verses that are bothering me and you can explain them to me. And they're completely disarmed. If you said, the Trinity is true and I'm going to show you, they'll never listen to you. But if you say, 
Let me show you the verses that I find in conflict with that, and then you can explain them to them how they understand that. And they'll, their defenses are down, and they'll listen to you. Who is the Alpha and Omega? First, a couple of notes. You're probably familiar that the Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, and Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. Who is the Alpha and Omega? We're going to be looking at these verses. You don't have to, I'm going to, not going to spend time on this slide. All of these are going to show up in a little bit. You can write them down as we get to them. But we're going to look at Revelation 1, 8, 21, 6, and 7, 22, 12 through 13, 22, 20, and, and then we're going to go back and look at some others in Revelation 1 and Isaiah. So the first one, Revelation 1, 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Who is the Alpha and the Omega? Every Jehovah's Witness that can fog a mirror will tell you <laughs> that that's Jehovah. In fact, in their version of the Bible, it just says, says Jehovah. Here, instead of the Almighty, it'll say, um, says Jehovah. Uh, they'll put that in there. So if you ask them, who is the Alpha and the Omega? They're going to say, the Alpha and the Omega is the Almighty. Only Jehovah is the Almighty. So the Alpha and the Omega is Jehovah. Okay, good. That's right. Revelation 21, 6 and 7. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God and he shall be my son. Who's this? Who is this talking about? Oh, well, it says I will be his God. Only Jehovah is God. He's the only God. So this is talking about Jehovah. So the Alpha and Omega is still Jehovah. And it also says beginning and the end. So, okay, so it's Jehovah in chapter 1, it's Jehovah in chapter 21. Let's look at chapter 22, 22, 12, and 13. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Well, who is this? Well, we've seen all along that the Alpha and Omega is Jehovah. Okay, so Jehovah is the one who's coming quickly. Jehovah is the one who has the reward. Jehovah is the one who's going to give to everyone according to his work. And not only is he Alpha and Omega, he's also beginning in first and last. That's all Jehovah. That's right. That is. And so who's coming quickly? Jehovah's coming quickly. Who's coming quickly? I already mentioned that first and last. We'll come back and look at that. If we can go to the next slide. Well, now it's going to jump a whole lot. <laughs> it's frozen. Well, what I could do is just go to the back. Oh, you want to advance it? Thanks, Gabe. Yeah, if you just hit the uh, probably the down arrow or something, it probably... Uh, let's see, I think I jumped up too many. Could you go backwards? Okay, yeah, that's now we need to go back forward again. Okay, that's chapter 21. So we need to go back down. Chapter 22, we have the passage. So we ask them, who is Alpha and Omega? Who's coming quickly? Okay, next next one. So the Alpha and Omega, the first and last beginning end, is coming and will reward each man according to his works. So that's Alpha and Omega doing. Okay, next one. Who is the Alpha and Omega? Jehovah. Who's coming quickly? Look at verse 20. So the, 
He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Oh, it's Jesus that's coming quickly. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. And while they're uh, him and hawing about this, well, you know, maybe both of them are coming. No, it doesn't say we are coming quickly. It says I am coming quickly. It's singular here. Well, I'll try this, see if it works now. Yeah. Awake Magazine. Thank you, Gabe. Awake Magazine, August 22nd, 1978. They had an article called Who is the Alpha and the Omega? And I know that you can probably read that. It's, you know, I got two pages up there. It's too small to read. So I took the, what I'm, what I'm doing is in the next few slides is starting here and going to here. Okay. Just, just from here to here. In this part, it actually is covering some of the same verses, and it says, well, in chapter 1, it's Jehovah. We know it is Jehovah. In chapter 21, we know it's Jehovah. It's just the same thing we went through. And then down towards the end there, it says, <clears throat> the article refers to the same passages. Whoops. Yeah, I already said that. Same passages we referred to. Okay. So what does it say there? Finally, at Revelation 22, 12, and 13, we read, Look, I am coming quickly, and the reward I give is with me to render to each one as his work is. This is taken from their, their version. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This quotation appears among others that are ascribed to an angel and to Jesus Christ. Before these words are quoted in the book of Revelation, the angel who was instrumental in presenting the revelation to oh, the Apostle John spoke. That's in 22, 8, 9. Then after the quotation that begins with Revelation 22, 12 and ends with the words in verse 15, we find the statement, I, Jesus, sent my angel. Revelation 22, 16. And since the context does not necessitate our attributing the words of Revelation 22, 12 and 13, either to the angel or to Jesus, they could have originated, could have originated with another speaker, consistent with the rest of the book of Revelation. The Alpha and the Omega must be Almighty God. He is the one who comes in the capacity of judge to reward and punish individuals according to their works. Okay, so they're sticking with, even though they don't even mention in that article, they don't even mention verse 20, who's coming quickly. John said, Amen, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Well, that was August, the, towards the end of August, in 1978. And the Watchtower, well, they have two magazines, or at least two magazines. They have Awake and Watchtower magazine. I don't know if you're aware of that. So that was one of their magazines. This is the other one. Watchtower magazine from October 1st, 1978. So just a matter of weeks later, they have an article, Keep on the Watch. And I, I have the text of this on the next slides. Jesus again stresses the suddenness with which he comes. I am coming to you quickly. I am coming quickly. Keep on holding fast to what you have. Revelation 2, 16 and 3, 11. Look, I am coming quickly. Look, I am coming quickly and the reward I give is with me. Yes, I am coming quickly. Revelation 22, 7, 12 and 20. Looky there. Verse 12. That's Jesus stressing the suddenness with which he comes. In response to these last expressions of our master, this is still the article, what the article says. In, in response to these last expressions of our master, surely each one of us joins with the Apostle John in saying, Amen, come, Lord Jesus. So in August, it was Jehovah. In October, it's Jesus. And it's not very often that I can say Amen to the Watchtower. <laughs> yes, he is Jehovah and he is Jesus. Now, If uh, let them let them struggle with that for a while, okay? Don't run away too quickly on that. Uh, let them look at it and say, "Well, 
It says it's Jehovah and everything, but who's coming? Jesus is the one who's coming. John tells us it's Jesus who's coming. And let them sweat it out a little bit. They're not going to know what to say about it. Uh, But after a little bit of time, if you want to move on, then you can say, now remember in uh, chapter 22, verses 12 through 13, the phrase Alpha and Omega was accompanied with the, the phrase first and last. So turn to Isaiah 44, 6, which says, Thus says the Lord, which is Yahweh, it's all capital letters, that's the divine name in Hebrew. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, Yahweh of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Yahweh is the first. Yahweh is the last. Besides Yahweh, there is no God. Then take them back to the book of Revelation. So Yahweh, we have his first and last. Okay. Take them back to the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet. This is after Jesus appeared to John on the island of Patmos. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. When did the first and the last die? When did Jehovah die? We know Jehovah's the first and last. Oh, well, there's two firsts and two lasts. Right. When you were a kid in school and the teacher said, pop quiz, pull out a piece of paper, number from 1 to 10, you wrote 1, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 10. Well, this is the first of the first and the second first and the first last and the next last. That's ridiculous. Nobody does that. There's only one first and there's one last, right? And the first and the last died and raised and was alive forevermore. Amen. Then you can also take in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, where we basically see the same type of thing. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. When did the first and the last die? Okay, I knew I had something else here. Um, You don't need to take them there, but for your edification, in Isaiah 40, verses 10 through 11, it says, Behold, the Lord God, Yahweh, all capital letters, God is in, in that case, it's Adon, it's it's Adon, rather. Uh, The Hebrew word Adon is there for Lord, and then they put Yahweh, Lord Yahweh, so it's translated in our English translation as Lord God, and God is in all capital letters. So behold, the Lord Yahweh will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. So Jesus is Yahweh. Yahweh says he's the first and last. Yahweh is the one coming to give to every man according to his works. Jesus says that he is the one who is coming to give to every man according to his works. Jesus is the one who's the shepherd who carries carries us in his bosom. And so um, just wanted to give you that as, as encouragement. That was um, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 10 and 11. Like I say, that's for you. That's not necessarily for them. For them, you want to just go through the other ones that we in the previous slides. 
So Jesus says the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and last. He is Yahweh because Yahweh is the Alpha and the Omega and Yahweh is the first and last. He is God in the same way that the Father is God and in the same way that the Holy Spirit is God. Watchtower uh, slave objections. But he got hungry. He got tired. How could he be God? He got hungry. He got tired. He got thirsty. He said, my father is greater than I. And he said, I don't know the day or the hour of my return. So how could he be God? He was tempted, but God cannot be tempted. He was lower than the angels. If he were God, how could he be exalted? Those are, these are typical questions that you'll get from Jehovah's Witnesses. They all have the same answer. Every single objection to the deity of Christ that they will give you can be answered in a single passage from the Bible, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let's just note here that this isn't even the main thing. The main thing is he wants us to have the right mindset. But we're not looking at that part. We're looking at the theological definition here that he gives us uh, regarding the, the example of Christ. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has also has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. These first two verses up here, or well, verse 6 who being in the form of God. Let's go to the next slide. Being is a, in the Greek tense, is a present participle. It means continual, linear, or continual action. He never quit being God. Being in the form of God. It was equality with God. And the word here that says, did not consider it robbery, means uh, he did not see that as something to be held onto, to be equal with God. He was equal with God. He didn't see that as something that he should hang on to or grasp to or cling to. And he emptied himself. That's the part where it said, made himself of no reputation. The literal, a literal translation of the word means, akenison means he emptied himself. How did he empty himself? Well, he lived in forever past as God. He never had to eat or anything else, but now he did. He didn't have to sleep, but now he does. He didn't have to drink, but now he does. Uh, he was omnipresent, but now he takes human form. He's not everywhere. He's in one place at a time now. He emptied himself to exercise his rights as God and limited himself. He limited himself in his omnipresence. He limited himself in his omniscience. That's how come he could say when he said, uh, nobody knows the day they are. The angels don't know. The son doesn't know. Only the father knows. The father didn't empty himself, but Jesus emptied himself and he was no longer omniscient, but he lived as a perfect Holy Spirit-filled man and re totally relied upon the Father and the Holy Spirit for his works. And he said over and again, the works I do are not my works. The works I do are the works I see the Father doing. Those are the works that I do. The words I say are not my words. They're the words of the Father. What the Father says, that's what I speak. He got his leading and his, his, the things that he did were all a reflection of what the Father's doing. And so... 
he became a man. As a man, he became lower than the angels. Well, then he certainly was in a position lower than God. If God is up here and angels are here and man's down here, and he went down here, emptied himself, became a man, now he's lower than the angels. And so he was, in a, um, whenever he emptied himself, um, the father who had not emptied himself was in a greater position than Jesus was when he walked the earth as a man. Uh, so he was lower than the angels. And that's how come he could say, the Father is greater than I. After the resurrection, Jesus, okay, and we already talked about the fact that he said he didn't know the day or the hour of his return. After the resurrection, Jesus said he had all power. And when his disciples asked about restoring the kingdom of Israel, he said in Acts 7, 1, that it was, he said, nanya, nanya business. He didn't tell him, you know, I don't know. The Father's got a calendar on the refrigerator up in heaven, and he's got a date circle, but he won't let me look at it. Now, he didn't say anything like that. I don't know the day or there. He didn't say that. He just said, it's not for you guys to know. He knew. He knew. Because he was, once again, he was no longer in that state of having emptied himself. Okay? And so when we go back, he got hungry. He got tired. Well, yes, he was a man. Thirsty. Yes, he was a man. He emptied himself. He wasn't exercising his rights as God to just be eternal. When he said the Father is greater than I, yep, he was lower than the angels. That's right, because he emptied himself. He says, I don't know the day or the hour of my return. That's right, he emptied himself. How could he uh, be tempted? He was a man. Uh, how could he be exalted? He became a man. So every objection that they have is answered in this one passage in Philippians chapter 2. Okay. Like I told you earlier, these are things I've been using for years and years and years when I talk to people when they come to my house. I, I told you about infiltrating their convention, and I, what do I talk to them about? I talk to them about these same things. Um, I thought I'd share a couple of stories on purpose. There was a woman who came to our door once, and as I said, I always pray, what, Lord, what should I share? And apparently I shared about the uh, Alpha and the Omega, okay? Um, she came some months later, maybe a year later, sometime later. I recognize her, but she sees people all the time. She doesn't remember me. And, and again, I've been praying, Lord, what do, I, what do I talk about? And I, I felt like I shouldn't be talking about the Alpha and the Omega. And so she got to the door, and I, I started in with um, the same thing. You know, I, I have a problem here. Because if the Father is just, if only the Father is God, I, I have a problem because I see somebody called the Son and He's called God and the Holy Spirit and He's called God and there's only one God and I, you know I, I'm just going through the routine with her, and so I start going to Revelation chapter one about the Alpha and the Omega. She said she just stopped me. She said, "I've been through Alpha and Omega." See, I couldn't remember that I talked to her about it the last time she was there. She said, "I've been through Alpha and Omega. I don't understand it. If you're not going to buy any magazines, I'm leaving." <laughs> Yes, got under her skin. She never was able to figure it out. I keep praying for her, and I hope someday, perhaps already, but I hope someday she gets saved, that this just sticks with her, you know, stays under her skin. The same way with the uh, the chiropractor I mentioned earlier. This was the thing I went over and over with him, and he'd come back with some kind of answer, and I'd say, well, that doesn't really answer the question. And then I'd restate it again. There's a person called the Father, he's called God. There's a person called the Son, he's called God, and so forth. And I'd go to back to the Alpha and Omega and look through the Alpha and Omega, and then he'd go, yeah, that's right. That, uh, that's, uh, I need a, I'll, I'll come back. I'll do some research and come back. You know. And so we did this week after week after week. 
um, there was, where did I learn this? I learned this from Dr. Walter Martin. And uh, he would speak on the cults, and he typically, at the end, would give a time for, they'd have microphones set up, and people would come up and ask questions. And uh, so one time he was, he finished speaking on Jehovah's Witnesses, and a guy came up to the microphone, and he says, I don't want to ask a question, but I'd like to say something. He says, you can't preach, you can't, you, you're not allowed to do anything like that, but you can ask questions. He said, but I, well, I'd like to say something. And so Walter Martin said, go ahead. He said, back in the 50s, when you came to the Watchtower, you were accumulating information for your book called Jehovah the Watchtower. And he said, yeah, that's right. He said, and uh, the Watchtower assigned somebody to watch you and, get, and give you a tour and provide some materials for you and try to convert you into being a Jehovah's Witness. And he says, yeah. He, says, he said, wait a minute, you're the guy. He says, yep, I'm the guy. I'm the guy they assigned to you, and I took you around, and I got you the materials, and you talked to me. You took me through the Alpha and the Omega. And he said, you came back a week later or so to get some more information, and he said, I saw you coming from my office window. I got up, turned off the light, locked my door, and pretended I wasn't there. He said, you destroyed everything I believed the last time you were in there. I was not going to let you in again. And he said that it took seven years. Seven years later, he was at his in-law's farm. I think it was his wife's parents' farm. Anyways, one of their folks' farm. And uh, he said, seven years later, with your voice, Still ringing through the years, Alpha and Omega, come quickly, Lord Jesus. He said, I couldn't stand anymore. He said, I rolled. <laughs> he said, I rolled out of bed. He said, Lord Jesus, I don't know how you are, who you are, but I worship you, Jehovah God. And he said, Now today I have a ministry ministering to Jehovah's Witnesses. Here's my wife. She also is saved. She's ministering to Jehovah's Witnesses. He said, My kids are all saved. And his name is Bill Setnar. And I have another book, <laughs> another guy who actually ran into Bill Setnar after this had happened. And Bill Setnar was presenting some of these same things to this guy. And he went back to the, the Kingdom Hall and said, I got a guy I'm talking to. He's asked me some questions. He's looking for help and everything. And after a couple of different times, they said, who are you talking to? And he said, a guy named Bill Setnar. They said, you are forbidden to talk to him. And he's going, why, if we have the truth, why do I not, why can I not talk to him? We should have the answer for him. If we've got the truth, if we got true light and he didn't obey the Watchtower or the Kingdom Hall, he went and continued to talk to Bill Sutton. He got saved and wrote a book and he's ministering Jehovah's Witnesses to, to, to bring them out of the Watchtower organization. I never had, in all the times I presented these things, the Alpha, the Omega or the Resurrection, somebody say, you're right, I need to kneel and receive Jesus. I've never had that happen. It might take years. So some of these people I'm telling you about from back in Wichita or whatever, and I've shared this with, I still pray for those people and pray that God would somehow break through and deliver them from the deception of the Watchtower organization and bring them to Jesus to be saved, the true Jesus, the real Jesus, the biblical Jesus to be saved. And so just to set expectations, if you can pray with somebody that they receive Jesus, that's great. Bless the Lord. I want to hear about that. But be content to plant the seed. Um, the Apostle Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. He who plants, he who waters is nothing. God who gives the increase is everything. And so you may be able to lead somebody to the Lord because somebody already planted, you know. Sometimes I think some, we're out there just chucking rocks. <laughs> but 
whatever it is that you're doing, you know, in, in sharing the truth of the Bible, uh, don't lose heart in it. Go ahead and share it. They don't have answers to these things. Uh, don't let them jump off to something else and say, oh, I want to take you to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. No, we can go there. We can talk about all your verses, but I want you to explain these. I want you, I want you to explain these to me. Help me understand these, and, and uh, it'll, uh, it'll be um, the best thing we can do, I think, for them. So I suppose I should follow in the, in the steps of my mentor, Walter Martin, and say, does anybody have questions about what I've presented Andy. Yes, that is an excellent question. I'm glad you asked. The uh, I can send you the notes. I mean, some of you, I don't know if you took notes and, and wrote down the scriptures or not. If you didn't, let me know. I can send them to you. I can email them to you. These Watchtower and Awake magazine pages I put up here, I can send you pictures of those pages so you can have them available. Let me know. Send me... My email is real easy. B is in Bruce. I, I didn't introduce myself, but I figure you probably know that. Uh, B. Steventon, that's my last name, at gmail.com. Email me. I'll have your email address. I'll turn it around. I'll, I'll, I'll add. And just let me know what you want. If you just want those articles, I can give you the articles. If you want a list of the verses, I can do that too. Um, but just let me know. Good question. Thank you. Anybody else? That number again is bstevenson at gmail.com. Or if you already have Bonnie's email, her and she'll let me know. <laughs> It'll still get to me. Okay, well, we'll close and um, with prayer. And, and if you have questions, want to come up and talk to me, that would be fine too. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for the revelation of who you are in your word. We delight in seeing... Uh, seeing you revealed all through scriptures from the first chapter of Genesis all the way to, as we saw tonight, Revelation chapter 22. And uh, I ask that you would equip each of us and help us to uh, boldly share the truth from your word. And we ask that you'd use us and that the people would be delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Uh, and that you'd use us to, to sow seed and to reap and um, to water, to reap. Please use us. Bless each one here and um, have your way with us. Use us. We ask in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.